yes, I have audio this time. This okay. is the. It was a weird, you know, a couple little hiccups. It was as like usual. it was like five seconds, but I guess that's the drawback of being your own producer. Um, yeah, and your own um, tech, sound tech. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to work this metronome. No, I don't know what it does. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I don't think ours sounds that much worse than a lot of PCasts that have profesh, like, people working on them. It doesn't sound good, but it's not that bad. We are an indie podcast, okay? Okay, that's a great way to couch it. I love that. That's what I tell people when they're like, you know... They're like, oh my god, you have a you have a podcast. I'm like, it's an indie podcast, okay. I'm like, you know, part of this niche group of humans of who just, just like does stupid shit. Us, for fun. yeah. Um, so. well, I think it's worth it for uh, the Photoshop portfolio that I'm building because I mean, these are truly professional works of art. I just it's finished beautiful. up our hatchet piece last night. That I was doing, and I was like racing against the clock because my computer had like ten percent battery, and I was like, <laughs> "I will not get the charger." <laughs> All right, so this is the Spooky Succubus cast, an anti-racist, anti-capitalist, Marxist, communist, pro-sex work, um, pro-marginalized identity podcast, trying to shed light on why some of our favorites are so shitty. And I'm Abby, and I'm Rebecca. And today we're talking about what seems Child's like play. an innocuous movie, but actually is very anti-black and anti-poor. Um, I will say I love this movie. I, I mean, watched it's, it when I was very young. It's an uh, original. Like, they really wrote, like, a crazy fucking script that isn't a derivative of anything else, really. I mean, because it was 88. It was, like, before slashers were, like, I mean, you know, we know the original slasher is Black Christmas. But before, like, the resurgence of the slasher in the 90s, uh, it's just, it's such a weird little gem that really just touched everyone's hearts. They are still making Chucky movies to this day. They It is still culturally relevant. I have never seen any movie from this um, franchise. As you know, I've seen no movies. I love. I like really them. liked this movie. And I love Jennifer Tilly, so I definitely want to cover Bride of Chucky at some point. Um, uh, but would you say... Child's Play 2 is heartbreaking. Yeah, you said that. I don't want my heart to be broken. Especially because I know you love Andy so much. Andy's you, so like, cute. He holding his little scalpel. <laughs> He's like cowering in the corner. Oh my god. I like yeah. I was like crying during the scene of them taking the train together. It was so adorable. <laughs> in his little like puffball hat. Hold on, like, Chicken on Chicago. I've yeah. got a tinkle. <laughs> adorable. Yeah. Wait, so what, what were you gonna ask me though? Well, what happens in Child's Play 2? Um Do you really wanna know? Yes, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Uh, so Carol, Andy's mom, gets sent to a psychiatric facility. I'm so sorry. Her name is Carol. I thought it was Karen. Oh shit! I've been right. Who knows? I wrote Carol, Karen, Karen this whole time. I think it's it could be Karen. To be in all honesty, I'm not sure. Oh my now god! That you but said that. because of the doll situation. Oh, it is Karen. You're right. I don't know why I thought it was Carol. My whole life, I've thought it was Carol. My goodness. Okay, anyway. <laughs> sorry about breaking that down for you. I'm so sorry. So Karen gets sent to a psychiatric facility and Andy goes into the foster care system. No! Wait, what it's happens? It's very dark. Does Detective Norris go to a psychiatric hospital? No. Probably Prince not. Prince Humperdinck is nowhere. Okay, I was going to say, that is the, I was like, it's Prince Humperdinck. That's the only way I know this man's face. And then I started referring to him as PH and then Preparation H and then it's like a whole... So, Mr. Preparation H is not around. He's nowhere to be found because he's terrible. Uh, he's the, the worst cop in America. I don't know. He's bad at his job. But, uh, so he gets sent to the foster care system and then Chucky has to find him because he's the only body he can take over, right? And then he makes friends with his, his like, foster sibling who's this, like, rebel teen girl and they get terrorized. There's, like, an eyeball scene. I don't want to um, watch it. It's very sad. It sounds and then, awful. 
I'm Child's crying. Play 3 is sort of like triples down on the sadness and Andy is in a uh, military reform school. Why? But Chucky is terrorizing, uh, like, because because Ch- Andy's like in his teens now, so Chucky uh, attaches himself to like a small boy, another small boy who like whose dad runs the military school. It's a whole thing. Oh my god! It's a wild franchise. How, yeah, is Andy? I in recommend the, them all. Is, is Andy in the franchise the whole time? So he's in one and two, and then he's left out until Seed of Chucky. Then it comes back to him. And that's as far as I've seen in all of I've so only seen a, four of the sequel, sequels. Seed of Chucky was, like, recent, wasn't it? Or, like, yeah, when we were in high school or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so then after three, then it, like, drops off for, like, a while. And then it picks up with Jennifer Tilly, iconic Bride of Chucky, he goes to, she's also a murderer, serial killer, and then he goes to find yeah. her, uh, and then turns her into a doll, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yes. Um, well, I guess I have some watching it's, to do. If I want to. So can be so fun. I don't know. Let's get started. Okay. But we'll talk about the first one first. <laughs> we'll talk about the first one first. So the first thing I have to say is if these credits don't say 1988, I don't know what does. I loved it. The jazzy music. The, I love a like street scene. Yeah. Sort of rain soaked. Yeah. So the cops are chasing a man in a long coat with like pat- white patent leather boots, black turtleneck. I mean, this outfit is incredible. What's um, this guy's name? Charles Lee Ray. Played by? Brad Doris. Friend of the cast. <laughs> A.K.A. Grima Wormtongue, uh, which is how I know him. They say they've got the strangler in their sights. Uh, the cop is Mike Norris, as previously discussed, played by Prince Hupperdink. Um, he's wearing a, I just wrote sweater. <laughs> His white sweater. Cable knit sweater, yeah. Yeah, good sweater. Uh, they have like a lo- small shootout in front of a toy store, and Ray seems to have a revelation enters the store. Uh, the main title appears over a row of good guys dolls. So we have to take a moment to pour one out for um, like the buddy doll, which is a real like doll line that never financially mm. recovered from the Chucky movies. So sorry about that. <laughs> I think all horror movies like ruin the idea of children like carrying around life-size dolls because... Like, you just couldn't do it. Yeah, there was, like, a Twilight Zone, you know, the whole trash can thing. Yeah. With the Twilight Zone doll. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know I'm on a Twilight Zone kick right now. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> the main title appears over a row of good guy dolls. Uh, Ray is mortally wounded by Norris, and he says the funniest line, Oh, God, I'm dying. <laughs> so sweaty, like like up against that fake castle. It's like yeah. he's just realizing it, and he's like really bummed out about it. Um, then he says he has to find somebody and collapses over a pile of good guys. He pulls a good guy out of the box and starts chanting over the doll. <clears throat> Sorry. Lightning crashes. The store explodes. Norris finds Ray's lifeless body, uh, and then one of the good guy dolls has this special glint in his eye. Elsewhere, um, small child slash crotch goblin, which is the new thing I'm calling kids now. <laughs> Children. A- Adam hates it. Uh, Andy makes his mom an extremely unhinged breakfast in bed. Uh, it was so cute. like On his own birthday. On his birthday. What a nugget. Uh, and he wakes his mom, a.k.a. Um, the mom from Seventh Heaven. When I see I this smiling faces. Shining back around me. Uh, And her name is Karen. It's Andy's birthday. He's obsessed with good guy dolls. Um, There's like a TV show. He has like the little outfit. It's very cute. I will say like, so while he's watching it, there's like a, like a adult sized costume of a good guy, like with a big giant head. Like introducing the good guy doll. Oh, it's like scariest a, it's like good a paper mache head. So weirdly, apparently the director Tom Holland put himself in the movie as Karen's deceased husband and Andy's father. So he's like the guy in the pictures of their family, which is like interesting. I don't know how to feel. <laughs> <laughs> so um 
Andy gets to open some presents. Unfortunately, the box shaped like a good guy doll is actually clothes. Boring, mom. Why is it such a big box? For like one pair of jeans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The doll is very pricey and she has to save up for it. And Andy said. So uh, at the department store where Karen works, her friend Maggie, played by Dinah Manoff, a.k.a. Marty from Greece. Which, no? Didn't, didn't know that. Shout out to my childhood best friend, Danny. I wasn't allowed to watch Grease because it was too sexy when I was a kid. Uh, uh-huh. So we would go over to sit in her basement and play Mario Kart and watch Grease all the time. Oh and I think God, she was I like, I don't want to watch Grease anymore. And I was like, Sorry. Too bad. Too bad. Uh, I it will come to no one's shock that I've never seen Greece before. I think it might not be. Like it might be too late. Yeah, I don't think you need to watch. It's not for me. I don't love musicals. I actually hate them. Uh, so (gasps) my sister, who thespian, loves the musical, loves the theater. Uh, that's why I've seen so many musicals, all of them, but not Greece. Uh, no, like theater musicals. Like oh, like actually musical. Like a real musical. Got it. Uh, she doesn't love, oh, it depends, but she doesn't always love a movie musical. But I sent her this TikTok of like making fun of musicals and like songs and musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sent it to her while she was at a show. She's like, I can't talk right now. I'm at a show. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Really? Like kismet. But can't talk right now. I'm doing hot girl shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oops, I lost, I, my, we oops, about. I lost my place. Oh, yeah, Maggie. Love Maggie. She says there's a peddler behind the store that has the doll that Andy wants, so Karen goes down and buys it from him. Uh, garbage can man, a.k.a. their boss, Walter Criswell, forces Karen to work late on Andy's birthday and threatens to fire her if she says no, which is illegal. Um, and You can't make someone work a shift they weren't scheduled for. Yeah, sorry. Fucking sorry, douchebag. Sorry, Criswell. So Maggie, bow tie. loser, Maggie offers to watch Andy for Karen. So Karen rushes home to give Andy his good guy doll, which introduces itself as Chucky. Ah! Later. Hi, I'm Chucky. Want to play? Want to play? Iconic. It's well, so apparently it is. it was used to torture someone in a murder. Um, did you read about this? No. Yes. Oh, God. In the UK, um, Child's Play 3 was referenced in the murder case um, of Suzanne Capper's murder, uh, and her um, murderers were convicted, and apparently they put, hi, I'm Chucky, want to play, on tape, on repeat, and played it in headphones at 150 volts for, like, hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Terrible. Jesus. So, Iconic. In more ways than one, I guess. Yeah. Jeez, Louise. So I have to find my place in my notes again. Would you believe that? So, so she, later, he's got the doll. Yeah, they're hanging out with Maggie, and Chucky sees on the news that his accomplice, Eddie, has escaped. Uh, Maggie sends them to bed, but Andy says that Chucky wants to watch the 9 o'clock news. Uh, she says no. And puts them to bed, but the TV turns back on, and Maggie sees Chucky sitting in the chair. She disciplines Andy, like, kind of harshly. <laughs> I was going to say, she's like, going a little too like, hard. not even your kid. Uh, and yeah, you're the babysitter. He can stay up till Yeah, like, what, who cares? It's his birthday. He's also, like, as a person who's tried to put a six-year-old to sleep before, like, he's so well-behaved. He's, like, up, a very good boy, teeth. yeah. Like nothing. Yeah. No story reading, no dramatics, yeah. no need for a last-minute snack. I mean... I'm thirsty. I need a water. I need water. That's, I the, have to, that's the water. I have to pee. I have to poo. <laughs> oh, wait, that's me. Just kidding. Uh, no. I do that, too, but I can do it myself, so... Yeah. Uh, Andy insists that he didn't do it. Maggie reads in near darkness. Did you see this? I'm like, you you don't have a light on, lady. You're going to get eye strain. Light from the TV. I was like, that's not That's not how you read. Uh, The POV from something crotch goblin sized uh, walks across the floor. Love it. And Maggie catches it out of the corner of her eye and calls out to Andy. And apparently that thing that skittered, (laughs) that thing, the crotch goblin that skittered behind Maggie is, um... Andy's real life little sister, Alex Vincent's Aww. real life little sister. So she gets up to go check, and in the kitchen, a container of flour is spilled. 
Karen calls, <gasps> and Maggie's like, I'm freaking myself out being home alone, which happens. Uh, alone and night willies are real. Yeah, seriously. Maggie is, but I'm like, I think we were texting about this, like, Alone at Night Willies, for me, is like, oh, that was weird, but I'm not getting up, so if I die, I die. <laughs> it's only when I take the dog out, and I'm like, like last night, he was staring off into space, in the, like, you know, it's midnight, and he's just like looking off into a direction. I know. It's and probably she... a cat, but... Oh, speaking of which house, Kyle the cat. Rebecca uh, half-adopted Kyle... a pregnant cat. Uh, Kyle the cat is great. I can't tell if she is pregnant or just fat. Is she uh, getting she bigger? Sort of. But she doesn't seem, I, I don't know, gestation for cats is like eight weeks. And it's only been like four weeks since All I right. thought she was maybe pregnant. We'll keep y'all updated. Yeah, Frankie updated. does that too, though. Like, she's just staring into darkness, like barking at nothing. And I'm like, I don't have time for a vampire or a werewolf or like a burglar. I don't have time for this. Okay. So Maggie is still hearing bumps in the night and she walks towards a very strange plant contraption. I put that I was like, what, what are these planters? That? So they're like planters that have like paint blue painted like fence siding around them. They're very confusing. We'll put a picture up on the Instagram. And they're really tall. They're yeah, like- they're like very confusing. And when she moved yeah. it, I was like, the whole thing's gonna fall apart. Yeah. So sorry, everyone. But it stayed together uh, and just like looked like it was made out of cardboard. They were so weird. Uh, But again, there's nothing behind it. When she turns around, she's hammered in the face and thrown out of the apartment window and she dies. Rip Maggie. She was a good character. I'll miss her. Yeah. Maybe like, I don't know if that was, it's accurate. Could you really just, I feel like the force would have had to been more for her to fall out the window. You could just trip in your kitchen and fall out the window. Though. Yeah, like at the right, because ra- she was also like 10 feet away from the window. She gets hammered yeah. in the face and she falls back like, oh, oh, oh. Like she would have hit <laughs> the way, the force that would have taken, she would have had to have been pushed. But you yeah. see her falling back from the hammer blow. So yeah, the science isn't there. <laughs> Jacques, Chucky, you need to be yeah. a myth busted. Um so Karen arrives home to a police barricade, but kind of just, like, runs into the building without anyone really stopping her. <laughs> it's kind of funny. The cops are everywhere. I just, this seems extremely illegal. So you're questioning a minor without his parent present, and you didn't call her. You're just in the apartment, swarming around the six-year-old without a parent or guardian. Her. Unhinged. So Norris uh, is there. Oh, go ahead, ma'am. There's also so many fucking cops around. There's one of them sitting on the couch reading a newspaper. Go home. It's that you don't, you're not needed. Why are you here? Yeah. Why are you here? So uh, he tells, Norris tells Maggie that, sorry, R.A.P. Maggie. Um, He tells Karen that Maggie died by falling from the kitchen window. uh, And there are some small footprints in the flower. Uh, He's so callous and unfeeling. I know. He sort of, he like kind of accuses Andy of being a murderer. It's all feeling a little bit illegal. So Karen Mm -hmm. is like, please get the fuck out. Um, In bed, Andy notices that Chucky has flowers on his shoe and tries to tell Karen, but she ignores him because people don't think of children as autonomous human beings with feelings and thoughts and reasons that they do and say things. So um, the cops leave. They have the hammer, a.k.a. possible murder weapon. She is like, literally, get the fuck out of here. Like, you can't be here. You're traumatizing my child. Um, So later, Chucky, or Karen's concerned about Andy's relationship with Chucky. It's a little concerning. I won't lie. Um, Andy says Chucky's real name is Charles Lee Ray, and he's been sent from heaven by Andy's daddy. Uh, Chucky told Andy that Maggie was a real bitch and got what she deserved. Uh, Karen is rightfully disturbed, but Andy insists that Chucky is alive. So the next day, Andy and Chucky skip school together and they ride the train. Did I miss something? He just experienced something traumatizing. Yeah, why is he? He'd have a day off of school. Why is he going to school, the poor kid? Um, But yeah, it's like really cute. Like they 
you know, they palling around. go pal around together. Andy's little snowsuit is like precious. Um, mm-hmm. So they, I presumably head to the south side, which is coded as bad because there are black and unhoused people living there. They head to Eddie's, um, but Andy stops for a break because he has to tinkle. Stay here, Chucky. I've got a tinkle. So adorable. adorable. Whilst Andy tinkles, uh, Chucky heads into Eddie's house and turns the gas on and opens the oven door. Eddie senses that something is in the house, pulls his gun, uh, and when he hears noise in the kitchen, he enters and shoots, and then the house goes up in a big old fireball. So Andy and Chucky are brought into the police station because this is pretty sus. Um... (laughs) Karen arrives where Andy's being questioned about his visit to Eddie Caputo's. Karen tells Andy he'll be taken away if if he doesn't start telling the truth. Also pretty traumatizing. But he insists that Chucky threatened him and he said he would kill him if he told or whatever or something. I don't know. So a psychiatrist takes Andy. Bad psychiatrist. Very bad. Bad. At home. All All the people are bad. Cops, psychiatrists. Yeah. It's almost like our institutions are designed to work. Not for us, but against us. So at home, Karen talks to Chucky, who says he likes to be hugged. Karen picks up the box and realizes the batteries that came with the doll are not in Chucky. He's talking without batteries, you guys. Batteries not included. When she checks the doll, she confirms no batteries. And then it speaks to her and rolls under the couch. She pulls it out and threatens to throw it in the fire with some very impressive match lighting skills and then <laughs> chucky calls her a stupid bitch and a filthy slut they fight chucky bites her and chucky makes a run for it karen chases him downstairs but he's gone she takes a cab to the how can he reach the elevator buttons oh, i think he can kind of like parkour right he just like climbing walls so creepy Uh, she takes a cab to the police station and explains herself to Norris. Obviously, he doesn't believe her. So she's like, fuck you. I'll go deal with it myself, you dumb asshole. And I like that it's not like a long, drawn out scene. She's just like, bye. You suck. And she leaves. So she goes looking for the unhoused peddler, but then he threatens to sexually assault her when she requests information and Norris gets to like white night over and interrupt. And then he finds out that the doll came from the burned out toy store, which rings a bell for Norris. And he says, Charles Lee Ray died there. And um, Maggie's like, thanks for withholding that information. And I was like, kind of like, I hate cops, but like, why would you need that information? I guess like, I mean, okay, so... Have you told him? Yeah, you're Prince Humperdinck. This child is claiming that a demonic doll is, like, the one who murdered a woman, and then, the like, the mother claims the same thing. You know that you just murdered a serial killer in a, in a, in a toy, toy store. store. No connections, no, like... Yeah. I understand it's a leap of faith. It's but. a leap of faith, yeah. Okay, fine. I'm I'm back in. Uh Karen says she believes Chucky is Charles Lee Ray and asks Norris where Ray lived. He's dismissive and rude, but tells her, obviously Southside. She believes that Norris is next, but he calls her insane. But how wrong he is, because he heads to the office and tra- grabs the Charles Lee Ray file, heads out, but Chucky's in the car. He strangles him with some wires from behind, but Norris burns him in the face with a cigarette lighter. Chucky then pulls a knife, which he starts stabbing through the cow- uh, the car cushions, which is really funny. Kind of funny, yeah. The car... I'm like driving up high with... <laughs> oh! Oh! Yeah. The car is out of control, but when Norris tries to slow down, Chucky puts his little hand on the gas and it, like, flips or something. So the car crashes, Norris is alive and haphazardly just shooting his gun as Chucky runs around the car. Uh, Chucky grabs his knife and lunges at Norris, but Norris shoots him and he goes flying. Karen checks out Charles Lee Ray's apartment. Uh, There's some interesting nude self-portraits and other disturbing items. There is a painting of what looks like a voodoo priest, which Mm. I don't know how to feel. Just kidding, I do. It's bad. Um, So first of all, voodoo, I learned, is matriarchal, so it would have been a priestess, probably. Yeah. 
so Norris approaches very creepily from behind and tells her the name of the voodoo practitioner, um, John Bishop, but he is not credited with a name in the credits. He is only credited as Dr. Death. Why? Don't know. You gave him a name. Why can't you just, and you, like, we never call him Dr. Death. Like, I just don't understand it at all. So Chucky heads over to see John Bishop. Uh, he's a little butthurt because his gunshot is bleeding. John says the more time he spends in the doll body, the more human and killable he will become. Chucky's angry and blames John for literally no reason because it's not his fault at all. Um, and John won't help Chucky because he perverted the voodoo teachings and used them for evil. But like, in fairness, you did teach them to a serial killer. Yeah, why do that? What did you think was going to happen? So Chucky breaks John's uh, body parts on a voodoo doll until he tells him how to get out of the doll body. He says Chucky has to transfer his soul into the first person he revealed his true self to, Andy. So Chucky murders John and heads out. It's a very, like, shitty overture for basically the only actor of color in this movie. He gets about two minutes of screen time. And... Not even really, like, his name and his character's name in the credits. Just Dr. Death, which obviously has negative connotations. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Womp. Karen and Norris arrive at John's apartment where they find him dying. John tells them to save the boy and to stop Chucky before he can say the chant by stabbing him in his almost human heart. At the very dismal psychiatric hospital, Chucky is arriving to see Andy... And he calls for his doctors, but they ignore the distressed pleas of a six-year-old child and just, like, leave him. So sad. So sad. He's such a good little actor, though. He really his is good. was very believable. I know. I, I'm like, I'm crying, buddy. Yeah. Um, it's funny that we're like, he's so precious when he's, like, five years older than us in real life. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was not born when they were making this movie. So. Nor I. I'm still a millennial. An old one. Um, So Andy manages to escape from his little cell and make it into, I guess, an operating room, which, like, why would there be an operating room in a psychiatric hospital? Are you doing lobotomies, sir? Um, Some shock therapy. Definitely. Chucky follows, uh, and Andy grabs a little scalpel to defend himself. He's so cute. Uh, the doctor comes in to sedate Andy, but then Chucky stabs him in the leg and electroshocks him to death. Uh, Norris I'm not and, super sad about that death. I feel I just feel bad that Andy's like possibly had to witness for it, it and like had yeah. to witness it. It was pretty traumatic. Norris and Karen arrive at the hospital, but Andy has already left and gone home. Chucky takes the elevator up to their apartment and Andy hits him with a baseball bat when he comes in. But then, unfortunately, Chucky baseball bats him back. Norris and Karen rush in as Chucky is chanting over Andy. Uh, They interrupt and Chucky slashes Norris's leg, his favorite move. He's like, pew, 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 pew. (laughs) His knife is also so cute. It has like a little design on it. Yeah, which just makes it like more menacing. So after slashing his leg, he baseball bats him, but Karen shoots him. Uh, The gun jams and he attacks her, but she manages to trap him in the fireplace. Andy comes in for the assist um, and delivers the greatest line of this movie. Because Chucky says, we're friends till the end. And he says, this is the end, friend. This is the end, friend. (laughs) It's so cute. cute. When Chucky's... In the fireplace, it's fucking hilarious. He's just like, yeah, 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 like up against yeah. it. It's so well, fucking, then Adam was so Adam was watching it with me, and he was like, "Why did they let go of the screen?" Now he's just running around their apartment on fire. He's gonna set their home on fire. So yeah, he's like running around. He's uh, just like, hey, where, where, where? He then goes out and is quiet. Um, but Chucky survives the fire. He yells at Karen to give him the boy and he'll let her live. Uh, and hears Johnny is through the living room door, eventually making it in. Uh, they run and Karen just like shoots Chucky's head and limbs off while trying to get his heart. I think she's not a great shot. Uh, she mm. gets closer and seemingly shoots him through the heart. But no, 
he's back. Norris's partner comes and investigates Norris's story of the doll coming to life. Uh, Norris tells him not to touch the doll, but he brings Chucky's head into the other room and like laughs at it. But then Chucky's like small burned body attacks him from the vent behind him. Norris finally manages to shoot Chucky through the heart and it bleeds and then they just leave the apartment. <laughs> and that's the end. And that's the end. My uh, my friend, that's the end. Uh, so good. It's like so bad, but so good. But also bad in bad ways. There's problems. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, where do we begin? Uh, you, I mean, you want to talk about the the big one, the the voodoo practice and like the erasure and white supremacy of like misrepresenting and misinterpreting like Haitian. We got to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, I already mentioned this, but they credit, um, the practitioner John Bishop as Dr. Death. Um, and voodoo doesn't really center around like death. There are some like rituals that involve animal sacrifice, but that's not really like the center of the practice. But um, voodoo came to America from like Haiti and West Africa t- via New Orleans in the 18th century uh, because of the transatlantic slave trade. Duh. So like you uproot <sighs> people from their like home, dump them into this like diasporic enslavement where they are like disconnected from their roots and then they develop this like voodoo practice uh to like protect themselves and like build community and then uh white america basically just like villainizes it it makes yeah it's like super colonialist um yeah, so it came via New Orleans, so the Haitian Creole origins sorry, I was stretching into a new position, of voodoo Mm -hmm. came via Louisiana when it was a French territory, and a lot of the reason it was able to flourish there is because New Orleans allowed free uh, people of color, basically. So you could be free in New Orleans pretty, like, legally before you could in a lot of other provinces. We well, we talked about this. I mean, because just last week, movies are well, yeah, but and it comes up all the time because horror movies are lazy, and this is like a there was voodoo as witches, but the French colonization was a lot more hands off than the than the English colonization colonization, for sure. So voodoo is diasporic, like I said, like it changed in different communities because it was separated from its like actual roots in West Africa and Haiti. So the voodoo that has entered America is essentially like Haitian Creole voodoo. Um, and a lot of that comes from just the fact that it like merged with Creole and French practices in Louisiana. But during the transatlantic slave trade, Benin in Africa was, which is the birthplace of voodoo, was at the epicenter of the slave coast. So many people from the Fon ethnic and linguistic group were brought brought to Louisiana. Um, so, and the practice was able to flourish there because French colonization is really hands off. And then they mentioned grigri, which are small charms or amulets that are usually intended to heal and protect. Um, and these were also an outlet for free BIPOC in Louisiana to be financially independent because, like, voodoo practitioners would sell Grigri, and that was a way for them to make a living. Uh, and Grigri are, I think, typically misinterpreted as amulets that are supposed to, like, lay harm or, like, curse people, but usually they're just, like, protective elements. Yeah. So, um, this is also, like... Voodoo is sort of at the heart of, I think, what is still, like, a big practice in Black communities, which is sort of the invocation of ancestors uh, for wisdom and protection. And the way that most likely Voodoo came north is through the Great Migration, because it came in through... um, Louisiana, most likely the way that practitioners moved to other parts of the country is because of the Great Migration, which occurred because of inhumane, abusive Jim Crow laws that were um, that were enacted in the South to basically like 
marginalized people into barely being able to exist without being fucking murdered. So all mm-hmm. of the ways that voodoo has like come into the country and flourished are results of colonialism. Uh, and then voodoo is coded as bad in almost like every <laughs> situation where it's like presented to, you know, mainstream American audiences. Oh, and then mm-hmm. uh, Charles Lee Ray invokes Dumbala, which is one of the most important loa or spirits in Haitian Creole voodoo. And he is the benevolent father and creator of life. So he is a hands off deity that is a creator that is widely accepted as being benevolent. So, basically, everything they reference has, like, first of all, religious undertones. uh, And it's a, like, real religion that is indigenous to West Africa and Haiti and was, like, stolen away from its roots and then just found ways to become diasporic and, like, survive and flourish in different ways here. Uh, And it's pretty incredible. I mean, I don't, this is, like, I just read a baseline article to get a little of, like, background. Uh well yeah we don't I don't know anything about it we and it's know. matriarchal I mean, you know we're so like matriarchal but the fact that horror movies like just are lazy and they can sprinkle these things in like little like I don't know it's just it it's just like seems, an Easter egg of shittiness yeah yeah it's problematic that the like the only person of color that we see in this movie gets a death immediately and he even says that Chucky's evil and that he's used his teachings against him and in the in a way that he didn't intend for them to be used he probably shouldn't have taught them to a white guy but also i think there's like also the undertone of like well he probably taught them to a white person because they're like being systematically marginalized into living under economic duress so the people in that community were probably like like pushed to do things they wouldn't normally do to be more financially independent because the system Mm -hmm. actively works against marginalized people so yeah it's all kind of nasty isn't it it's a little nasty it's like Uh, hey colonizers take a step back and like look at like i don't know what we've sort of and now like especially if you visit new orleans voodoo is kind of like this like minstrel show now where it's like really fun for like white tourists to go and like learn more about it but you learn about Mm -hmm. it in the context of like oh it's this like other it's like this thing i would never be involved in because it's like barbaric or something you don't like really have like context to take it in holistically and like really understand the practice because you don't really know anything about the transatlantic slave trade because you choose not to explore those parts of your colonialist history myself included you know i mean it's also like none of our business the only reason we're like talking about it is because it's been like uh like morphed and demonized by western culture right hollywood um but like i don't know there's a lot of things like i don't know white tourists coming to a place to like learn more about these crazy creole people and their crazy practices yeah. it's like very like i mean i don't know tourist culture in general is really bad but like it's just not i don't know it's a real religion it's not something to become a spectacle and to stare yeah, yeah, at yeah so. exactly and i mean a lot of like i think a lot of the places where you can see like voodoo altars and stuff are like the kind they like construct these places as forward facing but the real like religious altars obviously are kept behind closed doors and like kept sacred and hidden but Mm. i would say if you run into one always make an offering and make it cash (laughs) make it cash yeah pay people Um, for their like insight intelligence and their labor bitch not you're not the bitch the you Not know me. the royal the royal bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also like such a like a weird. It's how he becomes Chucky, but it's like as a part of this movie that nobody remembers because they don't actually pay enough attention. So to like it. this is where he's they're just going. already yeah. Chucky, and then nobody like remembers that it was done at the expense of like a black character's life in the first movie. Right. Yeah. Nice. Definitely never. It doesn't really come back to that. Uh, maybe when he turns the bride, but also has the Candyman syndrome of making it seem like 
Chicago is a terrible fucking place. When the parts of Chicago that are underserved and, like, less economically stable are that way because of, like, white developers and landlords. Right, (laughs) yeah. And wealth disparities. Yeah. As happens in every city. So, first of all, the south side of Chicago is not bad. It's not shitty. It's not, like, dangerous to traverse. I reject the idea that, like, bad neighborhoods exist because, like, when you say, oh, I wouldn't go there because that's a bad neighborhood, like, really decolonize why you're saying something is a bad neighborhood. But, yeah, it's sort of, like, again, like, hearkening back to the Great Migration, like, the people of color that came to Chicago... Uh, where basically, like, black people were able to live in a very specific sliver of Chicago where, like, landlords would rent to them at, like, extremely exorbitant prices. So we act like poverty is the fault of the people experiencing poverty. But when, like, people from Mississippi and Louisiana came to Chicago, they were paying, like, basically twice the rent of what, like, white tenants were paying in nicer apartments because they had Mm. to because no one else would rent to them except for, like, this, like, very specific section of, like, the south side of Chicago where a lot of people ended up not even being able to work because it was so difficult to get out of this part of the city and to get to places where they could have work. So the, like, the economic inequality in Chicago is baked into the city's roots because of the white supremacist people and systems. Like, it's not the part of people the fault of people experiencing poverty. And I feel like Chicago is often and, like, held up as this paradigm of, like, you know, poverty and crime being the fault of the people experiencing it, you know? As opposed to, like, what's the situation in all of America is, like, white supremacist institutions and institutionalized racism. Uh, Is that, like, redlining? White flight? And white flight happens so hard in Chicago. I I know I mention this book, like, every time we talk about, like housing inequity or like you know gentrification but really read the warmth of other sons it's really good it taught me everything about the great migration that i like which is like a fraction of what there is to know but it was such a like thorough like beautifully told uh like story of understanding basically like why our neighborhoods look the way they do now less yours Arizona wasn't fully involved. Arizona was kind of just a place people passed through to get to California. But it was hard to get through Arizona. That's some version of Arizona. I mean, Arizona is also part of America that it's very new. It's only a hundred and something years old. So it was like the later part part of of the migration. Yeah. So the migration really ran from like 1930 to like 1980. And people started moving through Arizona probably in like the 60s and 70s, I think. Arizona is more um, at fault for like... uh, crimes against indigenous communities and people and uh like the indigenous communities that like populated mexico and what we now consider america and then also like latinx communities since then but you know we all got problems well yeah something that the book explores which is really like obviously something white people don't have to think about is like even the places that were free states, it was actually, like, in some ways scarier to be in a free state because the rule, like, the rules that were written were, like, more dangerous and more threatening because you could go into a place, like, a restaurant or something where you were in a free state, so, like, supposedly you should be able to enter without harm coming to you, but, like, there are unwritten rules and, like, social mores that have been kind of like put in place by white supremacy where you actually like can't go into that space so you have Mm -hmm. even a harder time like navigating where you can go well there's also like uh there's that new show on netflix uh that's like highlighting black cowboys and black western culture which is also like people coming to the west um to find work because it was free but um, they were reduced to a cowboy. Like, they could only get, like, very little work on ranches and were, like, considered, uh, like, less than a person. So, you know, it all comes back. It all We all circle back. The, so. the bottom line what the movie is, called, is everything is terrible. Is we're talking... Oh, I was like, child's play, Rebecca. <laughs> no, the harder they fall. No, that's the, I know. 
I'm dumb. <laughs> I'm a anyway. dumb bitch. Uh, what else did Child's Play do wrong? Should we talk about Karen Carroll? Poor Karen Carroll. I mean, the woman just can't catch a break. Cannot catch a break. She So we've got Disney. Andy is a Disney princess. He's missing one parent. Although it's the mom, because... All horror movies are about mothers and sons. Okay, well, apparently Don Mancini, who wrote the script, was like, it has to be a mother-son dynamic because he had a, like, particularly horrible relationship with his father growing up as a gay man um, in, like, a pretty, like, repressive situation, which is, like, fine, but also, like, the mother-son dynamic in movies kind of just, like, makes me sad in my heart. Yeah, I mean because uh, most horror movies are made by men, and and they most love men their have mommy issues. Oh my god, they like <laughs> they like love hate their mommies in this way that's like just uniquely positioned to happen to men because they don't get taught about how to be in touch with their emotions and go to therapy, so they just have these like extremely fraught relationships with their maternal figures. That's just like, mm-hmm. like God help me. Uh, but yeah, Karen is, she's a single mother. Uh, they're struggling, although they live in a beautiful apartment. Uh, what the fuck? That's like nicer than any place I've ever lived in my life. Truly. And she works at like a jewelry counter in a department store. Her boss is a dick. Who's also a man. I love. Honestly, even Eddie Caputo's house. I was like, I mean, just clean it up. It's a nice house. Get, you know, like, scoot the rats outside. Coat of paint, know. deep clean. Coat of paint. You're good. Love it. It was all by itself, too. You know, I know, right? The, so much land. Um, But she, so I love the, I love the fact that, like, despite this being made in the 80s, kind of post-Gordon uh, Gecko like, boom of, like, greed and money, um, it's, like, a very anti-capitalist, anti-consumerist movie. Like, it's, and Don Mancini wrote it originally to be, like, a critique because, like, he uh, It just feels with- like Don Mancini, like, the plot got lost and it wasn't his fault. Like, I don't think the yeah. voodoo element was supposed to be like this. I think it was supposed to right. be more satirical look at, like, capitalist America. And commercialism. Well, his ori- so the original script um, was more critique on, like, the, like, whole Buddies doll and, like, the you know, toy store industry and then uh, kind of morphed into a horror movie. And then it was originally Blood Brothers where they made this, uh, where like a toy company made a doll that would bleed as, you know, cause there was like pissing ones and ones that cried and whatever. So this one bled and then Andy somehow mixed his blood with Chucky and that's how he made the Chucky doll. And that, and it like, I really which prefer, I think that's that, a better story. Yeah. I think it's like cleaner and more fun. Yeah, and it's kind of, you could, I mean, I guess you lose the serial killer aspect, which is kind of fun, especially because this is, like, they're really not subtle about the connections between the the Lakeshore Strangler and the Hillside Strangler. Not Stranglers. only that, like, so Charles, obviously Charles Manson, Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald, yeah, well, James Earl Ray, assassin of Martin Luther King, like... Mm-hmm. You guys, yeah. I mean, it sounds like the serial killer Charles Lee Ray should already exist, to be honest with you. It does. But I guess and like, then I- they were just living in a different time where like serial killers were just becoming a thing that you had to like kind of worry about. So I guess it probably yeah. like in the context of 1988 made like f- struck a different chord. But now we're all just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've been, you know, like strung out on true crime for you know like the better part of the 2000s now yeah so you know it's it feels different now thinking about like a character based on a serial killer or the idea of it being a serial killer as now is like it's kind of like it takes so much to like remember wild wild country came out and our brains like all exploded but now even like five years after that you're just like "Eh, yeah it was kind of fucked up but Such worse stuff has happened. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Worse things are happening, taking place right now. And I Um, just like we're so oversaturated with every fucking cult that ever existed, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, But I think it's kind of like a scapegoaty thing to make him like a part of a partner. 
we, I, because Eddie basically is nothing. I don't. I feel like I didn't really see why the do point we need of Eddie anything. At all? It didn't move the plot forward except that like Andy had to go see a psychiatrist. But enough just like hijinks would have done that too. Right. I mean, yeah, they did get to know. ride the train, which is really adorable. But I was scary. If I feel like if I, I mean, maybe not in the eighties. The eighties, who knows what was going on? But if I saw a child alone on a subway, I'd be like, where? Where is this kid's parents? Are they okay? I think like, kids just did that in the 80s. I mean, even I if guess. you think about the 90s when we were growing up, like, I did a lot of stuff. If I had a kid, I wouldn't let it do. Like, Alone, yeah. Yeah. Before, we didn't have a, I didn't have cell phones. No. You just, like. You could just be dead. Get dropped no off one would the know. pool. <laughs> yeah. Don't drown. And then what? <laughs> yeah. Don't drown. You're fine. Yeah, I think this we, movie is interesting because it's the sort of Frankenstein of, like, anti-consumerism Plus, like, this sort of war on crime energy. It's just all, yeah. like, really confusing. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, the, I, I don't know. It's refreshing to find a movie that's so, that's so anti-capitalist. That's, you know, especially at the time where capitalism was, I mean, it is, has been forever. But, like, in the 80s especially, everyone was like, I love money. Yeah, totally. Like, so. The, like, Wall Street boom, Coke boom. Mm-hmm. And I like that, like. I mean, outside of the very misguided, like, unhoused person trying to perpetrate a sexual assault on Karen, like, um, Andy just walks through the neighborhood, like, unbothered. Like, he's like, whatever. Yeah, it was such a white guy, you know? (laughs) Future white guy strolling about. But also, like, it wasn't like anybody was like, hey, kid, where you go? Like, the... Right. They let him just, like, walk through a place and go do a thing. And it was obviously coded, but at the very least, like... Nobody bothered him. Around with and him. also, yeah. like, Karen, until the sex- attempted sexual assault, was like, hey, have you seen this guy? Like, she's having, like, perfectly normal interactions with people. The sexual I assault thing was extremely misguided and unfortunate. I do appreciate, like, a man understanding that that's, like, a very easy thing for a woman to experience. Is for that, sure. like, it swips, flips like a switch. But why did yeah, it have why to did be it have an to be... person? Um, and why I do did Norris have to be not... the white knight? Like, why couldn't just, like, Ugh. another unhoused person break it up? Because there's like, just, like... Hey, get off her. Yeah, what the fuck yeah. are you doing? I would That would have been fine. Because I think, like, at least it wasn't some random person, you know, over a trash can who was just like, hey, come here. And, yeah, like, grabbed her. At least it was, was like, like, the person... Bothering him. Right, yeah. Or the sleazy, you know, like, has to sell a... Are we doll, whatever? Are we defending a sexual assaulter? No. Okay, no. <laughs> I'm defending that it could have been written better. That like I I don't want to side with the, the I guess potential assaulter because it should have been written better. Exactly. The bottom line is it could have been worse and it could have been better. Could have been worse, could have been better. Prince Humberdink is pretty much ineffective, ineffectual. Like he saves her from this. But he, like, gets stabbed through his car seat, like, gets yeah, probably gets rah, a little, rah. few little knife slashes on his body. I officially don't like him, and I was like, oh, maybe in a different, I think, like, one article I read was, like, he got to play a hero cop. I was like, still hate him. He's not a good cop. Uh, and was he a hero? No. I think Karen shot him, like, several times. He just shot him through the heart, which didn't even really kill him. Frankly, know, Chuck, I he's think. He's not dead. No, he's not dead. There's ten more movies. Frankly, I think uh, Prince Humperdinck is a more relatable character. I'm going to be honest. I I think this guy just has one of those poor things. He has one of those faces where he's like he just, handsome, but you want to punch he's him. He's like mean. You know? He's mean, handsome, but also like you're mean, but I don't think you would make me feel bad because you're kind of just a joke. You're just, you got yeah. a dumb joke like, face. Sort of like pitiful handsome. Like you yeah. see, yeah, like I could, I could make fun of you. Um, a cab. <laughs> Just the I and John, the other cop, is like is terrible. He's bad at his job. He's stupid. He's got he like a doesn't mustache. Like, he's got a fucking mustache. So like that's like maybe it's a little. But John, little, John feels like he's written to feel like stupid and like a uh, joke. Yeah, which a cab is good, but John is I think or I mean Prince Humperdinck is written to be like a I, like, a good cop. Good cop, which he's not. A cab. Um, have I said a cab, you guys? A cab. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think they were like just on the verge 
of like a truly brilliant movie and I know this movie is like good it's really fun it's well written but like there are just a couple of places where like if they take out the voodoo element and they take Mm -hmm. out the like hero cop even if it is a serial killer I don't I don't even think it needs to be a serial killer yeah uh, I do love Brad Dorif's like, and it's like the camera work is great. We get the ki- the like traditional yeah. killer POV. Love it. I we love get, it like, too. Good stalking scenes. It's there's no CGI. It's all animatronics. I love practical effects. Um, they hold up to this day. Like this movie doesn't look laughable the way that movies from the 2000s look because they have terrible CGI. Yeah, like it's for just, example, like, Lord of the Rings starring Brad Dorif. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think like it just had, it had like a little too much and we still have like our traditional misogynist tropes, like mother and son dynamics, fatherless, like family. And then like she has to be like almost sexually assaulted. She has to wait for men to save her. She's only a mother, but it's like she only has this job because she's a mom and she needs money for her kids. Anti-capitalist, anti-medical industry, definitely a little bit anti-cop in some ways. Uh, I wouldn't say you're rooting for Chucky, but like somehow Chucky is more relatable than Mike Norris, the detective. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's funny. I mean, it's got a lot to love. But let's just finalize this conversation with, have you seen Brad Dorif's, I'm, tr- I'm only pronouncing it Dorif now because I went to his IMDb page and it turns out his dad was French. So it's probably like Dorif. Dorif. Uh, uh, his his daughter is also. Oh, in, in the, the Chucky movie. movie. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, is his IMDb po- uh, picture just like the dumbest thing you've ever seen? And he's wearing, like, a straw hat. Like, he's on a French vacation and a bow tie. How cute. It is kind of Oh, my God. Yeah, what is that picture? I don't know. He looks like um, a gondolier. He does look like a gondolier. But, everyone, I'm saying it right now, don't get into a gondola piloted by Brad Dorif. You'll probably die. Uh, Oh, my um, God. Should we watch Deadwood? No. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I was also going to say that we also get a slut in Maggie. It's our slut. Oh, R.I.P. Maggie. A slut that's literally not showing one inch of skin. Love it, love it. No, she just like maybe dated a person who was on. Okay, how about this? Should we cover, should we do a little mini-sode of the uh, X-Files episode that Brad Dorif is starring in here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, bro, that sounds fun, bro. Um, do you have any further final feelings or thoughts? No. So I... next week we're doing Green Room. Woo! Woo! I love Green Room. I've never seen it, but I'm excited. I cannot wait for you to watch it. It's like, honestly, kind of. I mean, I don't. I haven't watched it with my spooky succubus. I mean, eyes, you but... look really joyful right now. Like, thinking I about watching it. this a... movie is the happiest I've seen you in weeks. <laughs> It's a very succinct. It's like a very. It's a good clean. Wait, you never movie. answered me when we were talking about it. If you'd seen Vivarium, which Imogen oh, Poots yeah, no, also I, stars in, it's really good. You should look it up. Okay. Look it up, baby. Okay, Aww. so what do you want to fuck this week? Uh, capitalism. Fuck capitalism. Always. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Um. Fuck the cops. Fuck the prison industrial complex. Fuck the medical um, industrial complex. Also, uh, which we like barely touched on. But yeah, this movie has like a pro like mental health reform stance as well. Yeah, for sure. The body dysmorphia in this movie also like he's like a doll and has like barely any questions about it. Um, Wild. Wild. I'd, I'd say fuck white supremacy. Fuck erasure. Um... Of, like, whole entire religions and cultural identities. Yeah, fuck gentrification and redlining. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say, like, just learn a little bit about your neighborhood, wherever you are. Learn a, bit, a little bit about, like, how your neighborhood became the way it is and, like, how your presence there contributes to gentrification. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Uh, just yeah. throwing that out there. And fuck Brad Doris, kind of in a nice way, kind of in a not nice way. I'm not sure how I feel. Uh, I love his voice. He's got a great voice. He does have know? a terrifying voice, but like a fun, terrifying. I can't uh, say there's anyone in this movie I would I would fuck. 
No. No, we're coming up empty. Everybody's trash. Uh, I'd say the mustachioed cop, but he's such a dick. I guess Maggie. Fuck Maggie in a nice way. Maggie, yeah. You can't Karen because she reminds you of Seventh Heaven. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd be like really uncomfortable because <laughs> I'd just be hearing the theme song in my head. When I see there's one. Why are we on a horror podcast constantly talking about Seventh I Heaven? Don't I don't know, know, but I will say you started it. You started it. It was my fault. It was the Jessica Beale thing. It's true. Yeah. Okay, so uh, go find us at spooky succubus underscore cast on Instagram. Uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash succubuscast. We'll literally do anything you ask us to. We, like, don't care. For real. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you can email us. It's at our link tree in our Insta bio. But, um, again, I never check it. Rebecca does. So, well, it, we'll get back to you. And, um, yeah, join us next week for an actual good movie. Mm-hmm. But then after that. Ali Shawcat. And the poots. I'm all about the poots right now. Imogen Poots. Uh, Anton Yelnach. Poor thing. Yelnach. Yel. That just reminds me of um, Holes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, think that's also, I think I'm saying it wrong. I'm sorry to um, that poor actor. Yelnats uh, for life. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.